0: Our tips for running in the summer heat. It's getting hot outside again. It's that time of year where that heat, humidity, and dew point is really starting to drag us down. We wanted to do a podcast chatting all about this weather and the heat increase and what it means for all of us runners who are out there hoping to train for our fall races. We should all be adjusting our paces in this heat anytime we run over 60 degrees. And you might be thinking, 60 degrees? i would kill for that type of weather that's a really cool weather but that just goes to show that as the temperatures increase we do need to start making these adjustments because as coaches we're actually prescribing paces to athletes based on basically training in optimal conditions so in those like 50 55 degree days and so We're coming out of spring, and in the spring, it was very cool. It was optimal running weather. You got to experience some nice, cool running temps, and now we're heading into summer. And so what we experience a lot this time of year is athletes who had great spring seasons. They're feeling great. They've been running really strong all winter. And then, you know, as May kind of approaches and we get into these summer months, that humidity starts to kind of turn up and the temperatures are turning up and it's a slow gradual progression and what a lot of runners start to experience is like they'll have workouts where they're not able to hit the paces that they were uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. Um, They might just start to feel like the breathing is a little bit heavier. Maybe you're sweating more and you might just feel like, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is, is is my fitness, am I losing my fitness? Am I burning out? But really what's happening is that your body starts to make adaptations to the heat. And so it might only be only in quotations, right? It might only be like 65 degrees, 80% humidity, but that is wildly different from what um, you're going to feel like in 40 degrees with minimal humidity. And that can be a lot of what the transitions are. So you might be looking back at a workout that you did eight weeks ago where it was 40 degrees and you just really can't compare that to what a workout's going to look like in 60 or 65 degrees. Um, another factor as we're talking about heat, humidity, dew point is also the sun. So as we approach summer solstice, the sun is going to be really close to the earth. It's going to really be a lot stronger at this time of year when we're, you know, people who are in the U S and, and the area, um, I'm sure in, The other hemispheres of the world it's a little bit different it's reversed but um you know if you're in the us like the sun is the strongest during the summer um and so in the spring you maybe could get away with running at nine o'clock ten o'clock eleven o'clock and the sun is just like so far away that it's not going to have as big of an impact but as you approach um that summer solstice time so middle of june uh it's going to be more intensity from the sun. So Jason, do you have any sort of tips or experience stories that you have to share about running the summer heat? Because I know we do this podcast pretty much every year as the temperatures um, increase. So maybe some of this is like repetitive from what we've talked about in previous years, but I think it's just a really good topic to always bring awareness to, you know, this is real. So like what you're experiencing is not this fitness decrease, it's just the summer heat adaptations.
1: Yeah, and when we talk about summer training, you know, it, we first have to think about um, The time of day that you prefer to run or are able to run right because if you're someone that has to run either You know before work or after work that kind of limits mm. limits your options to two choices, right? So you kind of have to pick the one that is um, I guess the lesser of two evils. So whichever one you can tolerate more. So maybe you prefer running in hotter temperature um, but lower humidity so in that case I'd run in the afternoon or evening Um, If you're a person that just doesn't like the sun and the hot temps, but you can handle the humidity, then I'd go in the morning. And, Mm. you know, sometimes it may not be the same every day. It may switch depending on if it's an easy run or a workout or a long run, that sort of thing. You know, I know sometimes on the weekends it's hard to wait, you know, until later in the day to get out for a long run. But um, I I guess just kind of uh, reflecting on, you know, your previous runs and your experience on uh, running in hot weather and, and which ones are, I guess, more tolerable for you and more favorable.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So being a morning runner, a lot of times people are like, you know what, I'm going to beat the heat. I'm going to get out there in the morning. Um, And what really is tough about being a morning runner in the summer is that you are going to be dealing usually with the highest humidity kind of in that morning period. Um, So you know, if if you're waking up early to run, expect that it's going to be cooler, right? The sun maybe isn't out. The temperatures are probably going to be a lot lower but that humidity factor may be more intense in those morning hours. And so you might be thinking, oh, you know, this is the best time to run. But in reality, if you're still having that humidity factor, you can still really make those adjustments to your paces. And just having those expectations in place that like, this, just because I'm waking up earlier and I'm getting out there before the sun's up doesn't necessarily mean that We're negating all of the challenges of summer running. Um, As someone that likes to wake up in like the four o'clock hour and get out there even before sunrise in the summer, uh, I can tell you that some of those mornings, it's like that air is so thick and it's just really, it's really steamy and you can really notice um, a slowdown in paces, especially in those first couple of weeks. It can be almost this really weird, um, you almost feel like, Am I losing fitness? Am I not? And there's a lot of like that questioning there because it just feels so different. But what happens is you start to make those adaptations and then maybe in July, August, things start to feel a little bit smoother as you're out there. So your body really does make these adaptations and you learn how to run in these warmer temperatures. So the first couple weeks are definitely the hardest. But I think if you're just getting out there and being consistent and really making those adjustments both mentally and with your paces, it can go a long way.
1: Yeah, and where we like to kind of run a lot of times in the summer is a shaded trail area. Mm -hmm. And so if you go out there early in the morning, a lot of times you do get really high humidity. And so if I was to do a workout one day, I would almost rather do it in the afternoon or evening there because um, you know you have less humidity to worry about and then you have some of the shade protection from the sun. And so it might be more favorable to move it to the afternoon on those days. Um, But yeah, I think it it just boils down to which one... um, You know you can handle the most and and you mentioned the feeling those first few runs like in the in the humid humidity um coming off of the spring if you're not quite used to it i think the the feeling for me is just lethargic right you just kind of feel like everything's Mm. a little bit slower like um you're really thirsty your body just doesn't move as as uh, efficient as as it normally would and so i think there's definitely a an an adaptation that needs to occur and just kind of getting used to it and you know even after a full summer of training sometimes some of those some of those tough days can still get to us right so it's not like we ever become super um used to it but you can at least toler- become more tolerable i think as as you go
0: yeah so like some of those signs like you were saying like the lethargy um it's, it's sometimes it's just like harder to breathe so you might be like wow i can really like hear myself breathing a little bit more um than i typically do and we can kind of get in our head in that way but just understanding that that's a normal adaptation so when um, when it's very humid, there's more moisture in the air, which means that it's harder to kind of get the oxygen at like compared to when it's not humid, right? So it makes sense that breathing would be a little bit heavier. And then as you kind of get those adaptations over the summer, it's almost like training at altitude, right? So you're training in a way where there's not as much oxygen in the air. There's a little bit more. Um, dense with water and so it's harder to kind of get that get that oxygen and then when the temperatures fall in the fall you kind of have this like adaptation of training in these unfavorable conditions which is kind of like training at altitude right so athletes go to train at altitude it's a lot harder to breathe there Um, your body starts to make all these adaptations and then when they go to sea level to race it's like wow you have this like next level gear you've really um, improved your endurance a lot and your aerobic capacity more so than if you would have been training Um, at sea level. And so that's kind of the idea there. And so sometimes I like to think of this as like, okay, these are just adaptations that I'm making um, in this early summer period, like the first six to eight weeks where it's really going to pay off in the fall, but really you have to be consistent with getting out there. And I know it can be kind of uncomfortable at times to push through um, those workouts. So how do you as an athlete or as a coach recommend people start to um, like adjust their paces for the heat and the humidity. What are some of the factors to look at?
1: Yeah, I think this is the biggest um, area of concern for most runners, right? And especially during workouts, right? Like during easy runs, it's not as big of a problem to run on the slower range of your easy pace or even like 30 seconds slower than what your easy pace range should be. But um, <clears throat> when we start to do workouts, you know, we, a lot of us use the the indications and the performance in those workouts um, to tell us what kind of shape we're in, right? So, it's hard to kind of know how much to adjust your paces. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would start by just running um, based on effort and not having like a pace range in mind. So if it's a tempo run, you know, just kind of doing whatever pace feels like you're keeping that effort at like a seven or an eight. So that's kind of how I would approach it. And then you can kind of get a sense after the workout by looking at the metrics, looking at the paces, especially if it was like, you know, two or three sets, you can kind of compare the first set to the second to the third and see the consistency and so that's and then obviously if it's uh, pretty consistent you probably did a pretty good job um or if it got like super hard the effort went from like a six to a seven to a nine or something like that then maybe the pace should have reflected that a little bit more too so i think there's there's so many different ways you can kind of analyze and dissect each workout so it'll really depend on uh, the type of workout too
0: yeah, and I really like when athletes keep a training log because for some athletes, it's it's going to be a really drastic um, adjustment. So you might be seeing more, like 30 seconds per mile if you're mm-hmm. at you know 65 degrees versus 50 degrees. Um, for other athletes, they may just not have as big of an impact on their paces, and it really does vary um from person to person. And same with how long it takes to create these adaptations, right? So it's really between like four to eight weeks where we're gonna see people start to make these adaptations. So really the first couple of times I think going based more off of effort and so asking yourself Okay, what did this effort feel like and visualize how you felt during these workouts in the spring so if you have like a four by one mile workout today visualize the last time you did that workout how you felt and like how hard it was to hit those paces and then kind of visualize yourself going out there in these hotter temperatures and saying okay i want to feel that same way cover up your watch go out do some of those reps and then after the workout is over look at kind of what the differential was and Mm -hmm. just understanding that you didn't lose fitness. It's completely normal to be like 30 seconds a mile off. It's normal to be even more than that. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on the person. And I know it can be really disheartening. Um, Last spring, for example, I did a race in end of March and it was like a four mile race. I ran 620 pace and then Two months later, at the end of May, it was a little humid, wasn't that humid, it was like 60 degrees, 80% humidity, you wouldn't think that that would have an impact on performance, I did a 5k race, and I ran like 10 seconds per mile slower for less of a distance, um, which was a little bit like of a confidence blow to me at the time, because i was just coming back postpartum so i was almost like expecting to run you know even faster even though the temperatures were warmer so it it can be a disheartening experience and it is normal to see slower race times but that's not like an indication of your future right so then fast forward to three and a half months later i was running mm, like 15 seconds per mile faster for a half marathon than i was in a 5k And I attribute a lot of that to training in the heat because when I went to go race that half, it was in cooler temperatures and I had that advantage of over the summer for those three months doing hard workouts in the heat. And so those adaptations that I was talking about earlier in the podcast were able to help in addition to obviously pushing myself, giving giving myself like three months of training, but those are kind of the results that you can expect to see later in the fall and that's why you know as a coach as a runner myself a lot of people will ask me like what is the ideal you know racing schedule and you know maybe it's a little bit too late and you're just hearing this now but this is great advice like for the future right um in my early running career i would sign up for races in the spring just because why not it's good to have something to train for um and what i kept finding was like The temperatures were just really hard to cope with. Um, Here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have really tough winters. They're very cold. And then in the spring, we get awesome spring running weather, like 30, 40 degrees. And then all of a sudden, like the humidity comes. And it takes us a long time to have these adaptations. And when you get hit with one of those first couple humid days and you're asked to race in those conditions when all you've been able to train in is either the treadmill or like 30 degree days um, it is a shock to the system and it can be a real confidence blow because like you've put in so much work and so what i like to do as an athlete as a coach is recommend people who live in climates like ours to maybe not choose races that are in even like mid-may to june because you're mm-hmm. running the risk as long as you're okay with running the risk that it could be a humid day so i know the fargo marathon kind of takes place in may and it can be great weather it can be awesome but you're also running the risk that it could be warm grandma's marathon another great example usually perfect weather like s- six out of 15 years i don't know what was i like okay Maybe eight out of 10 years, it's perfect weather, right? Like it's great 80% of the time. And then you're gonna get that oddball year where it's hot and it's humid and you just have no way to prepare for that. And it can be a real blow when you've trained, you've put in the work and then all of a sudden on race day, you have these unfavorable conditions. So my recommendation um, is always, let's try for a fall marathon. Um, I would rather train in the adverse conditions, be ready for anything. (laughs) in the fall and then have that extra bank that wow we've actually been training in basically altitude like conditions so you're even more fit and then when the fall temperatures drop boom you're running faster you feel better um i just think it's a better setup for success than doing um that kind of oh we're banking on good weather which you can really go either way but just from my experience, it was it was just too much of a blow for me to have um, bad weather days.
1: Yeah, definitely timing is is everything in terms of finding the races that you want to do, especially if you want to run fast or attempt a PR. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, we've always talked about trying to avoid you know major race marathons and half marathons between like May and September, for example. Um, but you know it, it's always easier to adjust uh, your pace and your effort. Coming off of a hotter season and into a cooler season than it is to do the opposite, right? Come out of a cooler season yes. and then have to adjust that into a, a warmer season because um, not only do you not know exactly how it might affect you, but um, you know depending on the distance too, you know break break down workouts. So for example, if you let's say you do like intervals one day um, and you realize like oh I was hitting about twenty or thirty seconds slower per you know per four hundred or whatever. Um, my ideal temperature versus like what it is the real temperature right so that doesn't necessarily mean you should be just you should be adding 20 or 30 seconds to like marathon pace efforts Mm. right it kind of maybe depends on a few factors like what is your strength are you better at intervals are you better at more uh, longer aerobic work because that might change from interval distance or tempo distance you know and so it's it's just like something you learn i think over time like how Mm -hmm. does your body respond to different distances different temperatures you know and then figuring out, like, you know, over time, how do I assess or how do I make the adjustments needed?
0: Yes, uh, effort-based is all the way to go. Like you were saying, you know, an interval workout versus marathon pace workout, um, you may find that, for one, you need to adjust a lot, and for another, mm-hmm. you don't. And, like, last summer, for example, I do remember a lot of my really short speed work, I just – felt like I couldn't breathe at all. I couldn't hit anything faster than like a, like a 10K, 5K pace, even if I was like going all out effort. Um, whereas like for marathon pace, it was pretty close to like what my actual marathon pace is. And I think some people might find the reverse to be true. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who will be like, I just can't run long. Like I can't go over two hours, two and a half hours, that sort of thing. And I think this is a really good point to bring up with the long run, right? So let's say you're training for a marathon and you know we've talked a lot about capping your long run at two and a half, three hours. That's still a significant amount of time. So if we're doing like a three hour, let's say you're doing a three hour long run and let's just say you pause for a little bit to drink water, all that stuff. I know we say, you know try to limit it, but sometimes inevitably it happens. So Let's say you're out there for like three and a half hours. Um, if you start that run at eight o'clock You will be finishing around noon and that is late. So people, when we're talking about like peak hours in the summer, like what is peak sun hours? We really want to avoid them. Um, These are like the hours that the pool is going to be really busy and all that stuff. So it's basically from like 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. You don't want to be running outside necessarily because it's going to be the hottest part of the day, peak sun, all of these things. So if possible, if you can avoid running um, your long run, even in any chunk of time after 10 a.m., I think you're going to find that you feel a lot better. So that might actually mean you have to start your run at like 6, which I know some people are like, oh my gosh, that's so early. Or like my run group doesn't meet until 7 or 8. Um, Well, you can always like start your run before your run group, kind of like tag on miles later because it's better to get out there before it starts heating up than to have to judge through the last hour of your long run, which is already the hardest part of your long run at a very, very hot time of day where the sun's getting out, all that stuff. Um, And then, obviously, hydration plays into play there. So talk a little bit about fueling and hydration during that long run, Jason.
1: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, we all have different sweat rates, but when it is hot, you're going to be losing, you know, those key electrolytes a lot faster than you would if it was cooler. So it's important that you're trying to retain as much liquid as possible. So you, it might mean, con, might mean consuming more fluids along the run or planning more water stops mm-hmm. or having some more electrolytes or even like salt stick pills or, um, just something that provides you with, with, um, some of those electrolytes. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, people, people have like the running belts as well, or they just carry their stuff with them mm-hmm. so that that way it's not as, um, inconvenient but I see the biggest mistake runners make especially like in those first few months of it getting warmer out are that they they don't plan ahead adequately and so they're out there in the long run they realize they're too far from home or too far from their right. stop and they are just like they have to like basically tr- just drudge the next like f- two to three miles just to get there and so um, I think having a plan uh, making sure that you're drinking something every you know 30 to 45 minutes um, because yeah you're losing quite a bit of um, electrolytes including sodium in in your sweat
0: yes and I hear so often people will say oh I felt nauseous after my long run I was like um cold or like shaky that sort of thing or they'll say well why the last hour of my run like I felt really good and then the last hour of my run um like I had to walk a lot or like I just felt terrible and then they say they were going a lot slower. So they are adjusting their paces. And so then that's when I start to ask, okay, like, how are you feeling? Um, and that's usually, like, when it comes out. So I think it's really important to remember that you need to fuel before you feel like you need it. Um, myself, I have made that mistake where it's like, well, I feel fine. Like, I feel fine an hour into the run. I don't feel like I need to stop for water. Um, I feel like you could, I could even keep going for two hours without water. But if you're trying to like stretch, like how far can I go without water? I mean, it just starts to get, to be a dangerous game. Um, and I've played that game before and I know that while physically, yes, your body is physiologically able to really handle a lot of stress. What ends up happening is that your body starts to like shut systems down. It starts to go into like a survival type of mode and that's where a lot of these people will start to feel symptoms during that last hour or after their run. So they'll be like, I had a headache the rest of the day or um, like I felt nauseous. Those sort of things are your body telling you that like it's been stressed over the amount and so you can go as slow as possible but if you aren't providing your body with enough hydration and electrolytes and all that stuff that it needs to get through the run um, it will start to break down and you might not even really realize it it's not going to be super apparent to you you might be like well i wasn't thirsty um it's more like you maybe aren't going to get those signals but you're going to get signals later after the fact So I would think you need to just hydrate every two to three miles for sure during these long runs. Um, I know it can be a little bit inconvenient, but what's better, you know, being able to complete your long runs, not have to stop, slow down, all those sort of things, or, you know, what's the alternative, right? So I always think I would rather complete this long run, be hydrated, feel good the rest of the day, than, you know, not totally prepared and I know it can be like a total hassle to like have to stop or like adjust mm-hmm. and like carry that water on your back the whole run but you know it does really help and I think for a lot of people who will do these long runs and then they have the symptoms for the rest of the day um, that's definitely not um, I would say that's not necessarily normal so try to nail down a hydration Strategy and um, if you need help working with nailing that down, like let's say you're tr- what you're trying like isn't really working, I think working with a registered dietitian can be a huge game changer. And I know once I finally nailed down my fueling strategy um, a couple of years ago, that's when after long runs, I could just go about my day like it was a normal day. I had high energy, I felt great, but before I had fueling down, it was like I would have to be on the couch or I had to spend a significant portion of my weekend day, recovering from that long run. Uh, but when you get the fueling right, you really shouldn't need to do that. And so we have registered dietitians here on staff at Run for PRs. If that's something you're interested in, just visit our website, drop down menu, work with us, and then click on nutrition coaching. And we can get you connected with our registered dietitians right away. Cause I know fueling can be a major factor in these runs.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, getting your kind of feeling on point, you know, I've kind of watched you over the years and there's definitely some planning that that goes into it right like i've seen you modify or your route that you wanted to do just to make sure that you're getting adequate fluid or you'll like run past the car a couple times um and so it's like those little things we have to think about like we want to train um similar to the way we're going to race in terms of like how frequent we're going to be consuming you know and so uh, you know, I have people that sometimes they they haven't worked with me for very long. We might just I might just like fill out a plan for them, and um, then we get closer to the race, and they ask me about fueling, right? Like, how much should I fuel? How often should I take water, Gatorade, goose and that sort of thing? And uh, my first question is usually, well, what did you do in training? Because I was curious, right? Mm. And so we want to kind of train the same way so that your body isn't in for any huge surprises come come the race day, right? Because that's that's really when you're going to find yourself in this, in this low state of um, either being dehydrated or depleted of what you need. So I think it's important to um, train, experiment with different things, figure out what kind of works for you, works well for you. And then obviously you want to avoid any potential like GI distress as well. So um, yeah, definitely important to be consuming anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40 ounces of of fluids every hour, kind of depending Mm -hmm. on who you are and, and your sweat rate and all of that and how hot it is. So, that's why I think it's really important to, um, you know, at least consider speaking to a dietitian who can oh, help yeah. you give you some tips.
0: Yeah, because sometimes like I'll share <laughs> or write down after a long run like how much I drink, and so before I go out on any run, I always consume at least thirty two ounces of water. And people's jaws might drop, but it's like when you first wake up, you're in like a slightly dehydrated state, and so I just in the morning, as part of my morning routine before any run I ever do, winter, summer, wherever. 32 oh, wow. ounces
1: minimum. That's interesting. Mine's 20 usually. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, yep, 32
0: ounces. And then sometimes it's even more just depending on, like, uh, how long it takes me to get out the door. Right. But then during a run, so if it's a longer run where I'm going to be out there for over 90 minutes, um, that's when I really am like, okay, I'm going to need to be taking in water every, like, 2 to two to four miles, um, or I mean, I shouldn't say miles because everyone's pacing is different. So I take in water every like 15 to 30 minutes. Um, so that's just going to depend. Sometimes I wear my hydration pack. Sometimes I'm stopping at my car. Often when it's peak summer, I will have to do both because I am running out of water in my hydration pack um also carrying electrolytes so water is great but like also having something else so like a bca doing some noon tablet is that even how you say it oh yeah noon Noon. you
1: know and just because you're bringing stuff with you on these runs doesn't mean you need to consume it all right Right. so like you might just have an emergency stash of salt stick pills or noon tablets and that's a good thing you can put in like a little plastic baggie or just like a little capsule and have that with you in your flip belt or wherever um so i would Think about that for every long run especially if you're running away in unfamiliar territory
0: yes I <laughs> always will be like okay I want to have at least a little bit extra mm-hmm. than what I think I need because Smart. you get out there and you realize like oh shoot like I actually wish I would have had it so I always calculate like what would I need add a little bit extra because um, you'd rather have too much so typically within like a two-hour training run I'm gonna be taking in like 60 ounces of water um, it, when it's really hot and humid. And that's in addition to the 32 that I'm drinking before. The, so that's gonna be water mixed with electrolytes right. also. So, oh, like, yeah. different combination there. But that's in two hours of alarm runs, about 60 ounces of water. I'm not a heavy sweater. I I don't sweat that much and that's how much I need to be taking in in order to not really get dehydrated Um, if i'm not taking in that much what will end up happening. I can get through the run I can hit my paces. No problem, but what will happen later is that um, the dehydration um, Sometimes kind of will start to set in it'll be headache. It'll be lethargy. It'll be I My muscles kind of feel really really tight. I'm not able to kind of do my day-to-day Um, Like helping with the kids, going to the parks. I don't have like a lot of energy left over for that. So really the reason that you're hydrating is so that you can avoid kind of some of these after effects and making sure you're hydrated is super important. Having the electrolytes is key. I know some of the gels have some electrolytes in it, but like you said, some people are really heavy sweaters. And so that means you're probably running through electrolytes more. So having those salt sticks can be great so another thing that i hear a lot this time of year is regarding that heart rate and so a lot of us have like the garments or the fitness tracking devices that have that heart rate monitor on the wrist app so what is your advice to people who are noticing like oh my gosh my heart rate is way high no matter what pace i'm going out there
1: yeah the heart rate thing is is uh yeah, it's definitely tricky i've I questioned like how accurate my garment is for, on the wrist heart rate just because i've seen it all over the board before but for the most part it should be hopefully pretty consistent and if it's not then maybe um you know maybe look for a, a strap around the chest or just you know don't focus so much on the heart rate rather and um the goal for me in, in running in the heat is basically to keep my heart rate and my effort kind of low as low as possible for as long as possible right so if that means slowing down my pace making it feel super easy um that's what i'm gonna do if i get out there and it's super thick and muggy and humid uh i'm not even gonna worry about pace um i might look at heart rate later but or you could check it i guess a mile into your run instead of worrying about your pace you could check the heart rate to see like especially if it's usually pretty accurate for you you could check to see if it's down below a certain number if you're trying to keep it below you know say 160 or whatever for your easy run um so you could use it as an indicator but don't let it be like an end all be all and so um you know, I think the, the secret to just feeling good on these runs is to get through them with expending as little uh, energy as possible in terms of, um, you know, the the heart rate um, in terms of that skyrocketing too high or in, in terms of the effort becoming too, you know, too intense for you.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that some of the times these wrist heart rate monitors aren't 100% accurate. Um, if you read the manual for some of them, it'll say like, more accurate for a resting heart rate Um, just because the technology that it is sometimes when you're highly active um, it's just not an accurate read on the heart rate and I've even had athletes sometimes where they're like I even stopped to walk and like my heart rate was still really high and I know it wasn't because I manually took my heart rate or I was barely breathing and so sometimes it can be like this cause for alarm when it's not even necessarily an elevated heart rate. So I think if you are going to really train off your heart rate, let's get you a chest strap. And then just understanding that sometimes the heart rate is elevated because your body's under a lot of stress. And so having that slow progression into training and into training in the heat, we might need to back off some of your long runs, right? So if you're noticing that like when you're two miles from being done with your long run, you are seeing your heart rate skyrocket. Well, that could be because it's a little bit hotter than it used to be. Um, your body is just making those adaptations. And so once you hit like a certain threshold, uh, your body is like, okay, I'm, I'm really starting to get stressed here. And so right. sometimes calling it, like when you're at that point where you know, maybe you're just not feeling it, it's always better to kind of listen to your body and cut it if you feel like your body is like being overly stressed and i think especially in these hotter temperatures it's always better to kind of make that judgment call and i know it can vary from day to day like some days it might be a little bit cooler it could be in like the 60s low humidity and you feel fine but then all of a sudden like for your long run is in the 70s and it's high humidity and it can just be like unfortunate timing that it's the weekend and this is the weather and you also have a long run so just being kind with yourself and like understanding that as the you know, do you do like a roll of the dice one of these weekends it's gonna be um not terrible so if you do need to like cut down your fifteen mile to like eleven or twelve um that's totally normal and fine and if you are even slowing down the pace sometimes just going off of um time duration so if it's like a twelve mile run and you calculate in your head okay that should in ideal temperatures take me like two hours well, let's just go for two hours and don't worry about the pace. Um, that can kind of relieve some of that like extra stress um, from runners.
1: Yeah, and definitely during workouts too. I'll, sometimes I'll put um, like a range for how many reps to do, like four to six or six to eight. That way, you know, if it is hot, you can you can abort it early and you don't have to do the the, the full workout. So. You don't just have to adjust the pace but you can also adjust the number of reps and so you know doing 50% of a workout is totally understandable and totally fine and that's probably actually smarter if, if you notice that it's quite hard that day because then you're able to recover I think a little bit faster if you red in every single workout the recovery is going to take too long and you might just feel really run down on your on your recovery days and so it's best to just not do too much like you were saying um, learn kind of through through doing and through practice of when to scale it back
0: yeah sometimes less is actually more so mm-hmm. you might be someone that's used to like always doing exactly what it says on the plan but just understanding that the progressive overload is really important and so as the temperatures increase sometimes these workouts like change right so what was one say 13 mile long run is now maybe an 11 and a half mile long run because maybe you're going a little bit slower um maybe it's just more stress on the body because of the higher temperatures all of those things and so just giving yourself grace during these first couple of months as we see the temperature increase, expect that your paces are going to be slower. Expect that race times might be impacted by that. But understanding that in the fall, you're really gonna like reap the benefits of all of this training in the adverse conditions. That it's not only physiologically making you stronger, but obviously mentally, um, when you're out there in adverse conditions, it's also making you mentally stronger. So just staying strong this summer and understanding that it's not just you it's everyone and we all have those struggles in the heat so finding a time of day that works really well for you really avoiding those peak sun hours between 10 a.m and 3 p.m and then just getting a consistent schedule and knowing that the more consistent you can be with the summer training the easier it's going to get and you're really going to reap those benefits later this fall when it comes to fall raising so we hope that this was really beneficial i know every summer we kind of do some podcasts on this so if you are just really in need of some encouragement and more information on this, try scrolling back to last summer and the summer before where we did a couple of podcasts on the same topic. And we'd love to help you with any sort of coaching or training you have for fall races or any time of year. So if you fill out the form on our website at www.runforprs.com, we can actually get you set up with a free seven-day trial. Again, that's www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial. Thanks for tuning in.